Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church. If we haven't met before, my name is Duncan. I have the privilege of serving as pastor here, and we're delighted to welcome you here today as we gather to worship the Lord. The first thing that we try and do when we come to worship God is to, first of all, hear from Him. And we do that as we read His Word. Now, I'm going to need your help this morning as we read God's Word, because we're going to read from Psalm 136. Now, you don't need to look this up, but you can if you want to. Psalm 136. And what happens is there's a line of the psalm, and then the response is, for His steadfast love endures forever. Can we try that? His steadfast love endures forever. Okay, you've got this nailed. I'm going to read four lines, and after each line, you're going to say your line. Are you ready? Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him, alo- to him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, oh, your natural's well done. Well, this is the first Sunday of the month, and this is our family service. So, uh, on the other weeks of the month, we would have junior church. Um, that would normally be running at the same time as our service, but not today. We're all here together. Isn't that fun? And so, don't worry if there's a little bit of extra noise in the room. We can live with that. If you really are distressed and need to get out, feel free to use the atrium and feel free to use the unmanned creche that is through the double doors as well. So, this is uh, Matthew chapter 22. And I'll be reading uh, from verses 15 to 22. And this is under the heading, Paying Taxes to Caesar. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then. What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Thank you, David. Yes, do keep those verses open in front of you. Um, The real question is, who is Jesus? That's the biggest question that we can ask. It's, it's the question that when you read the Gospels, so we've just read from Matthew's Gospel, it's always the question. Every time you read it, doesn't matter what page you're reading, the question is, who is Jesus? 
Because it's very easy for us when we read these stories, particularly the one that David's just read for us, that we very easily miss the point because we're looking in the wrong place or we're asking the wrong questions. Alan's going to put a picture up for us. Um, You've got to be under 12 to qualify, okay? Anyone under 12 tell me the name of this picture? I'm going to go with Callum, thank you. The Mona Lisa. Okay, too easy then. Can anyone tell me who painted it? Yes. Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. This is going well. Um, Can anyone tell me where this painting is found? Looks like you're on your own, young man. In France? Would anyone be more specific than France? Begins with an L? Oh, you're very good. Yes. It's in Paris, and it's in... Any, any over-twelves help us out? The Louvre. The Louvre in Paris. Very good. Now, what do you think? If I was to go, uh, I have never been, but let's say I went to Paris because I wanted to see this, and I stood looking at this scene, let's say for 15 minutes... And if you were to say to me afterwards, what did you think of the Mona Lisa? And I was to say to you, well, I really like how the frame has four corners. And I'm guessing that the frame must be made of gold, right? Someone's went to a lot of trouble. And look at the joins in the corners of the frame. It's so impressive. That would be strange, wouldn't it? Because what am I supposed to be excited about? The painting, the painting, not the frame. Well, hey, this is what we do when we read the Gospels all the time. We get so excited about the frame that we forget about the painting. And in this story that David read for us, usually you hear people say, well, because Jesus said, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, he's telling you that you should pay your taxes. Now, there might be some truth in that, but that's just the frame. It's just the frame. The question is always, who is Jesus? This is a story about people testing Jesus. And as we hear how Jesus handles the test, we learn more about who He is and why we can and why we should trust Him. So, in this story, two groups who normally don't get along, they turn up You see them mentioned in verses 15 and 16, the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they find something that unites them. They both hate Jesus. And so they ask Jesus a very serious question. But look at their reason for asking the question, verse 15, so that they would entangle him in his words. And so they ask, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, Jesus lived in Israel, and when these things happened about 2,000 years ago, Israel was not a free country. It was part of the Roman Empire. And so they weren't ruled by their own king, they were ruled by Caesar, the Roman emperor. And many Israelites thought that, well, If we were really serious about resisting Roman occupation, 
and we would not pay taxes to Caesar. We must refuse. But you can imagine if somebody said, stop paying taxes to Caesar, well, that could land them in some real trouble with the Romans. They might think you're a troublemaker. They might even arrest you. And so these guys ask this question because they think they have put Jesus in an impossible situation. Whatever answer he gives, he's going to upset somebody. He's either going to upset those people who want to resist Caesar, or he's going to upset the Romans. So what will Jesus do? Well, you see, Jesus is able to see through their question to see what is really going on. We're told in verse 18, aren't we? See, it says, Jesus was aware of their malice. Malice is just your your plan to harm someone. He was aware of that. And when he asks them, he says, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? He knows that they don't want an answer to their question. And so he answers them in a way that actually reveals the one thing that they lack most. So he asks them to produce a denarius, which is a small coin that looked a bit like the thing on the screen. Those are the two sides of it. And Jesus asks them about the coin. Whose likeness and inscription is this? And so you can see that there's a picture and there are some letters And the main thing that you see is a picture of the emperor. In those days, it was Emperor Tiberius. And the words that are are all around his face, some of them are shortened, but it says, Tiberius Caesar Dive Augusti Filius Augustus. They didn't teach Latin in Peterhead. Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, the majestic. That's what it says on the coin. And so Jesus is really asking, who does this coin really belong to? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know it was in your pocket. I know it was in your purse. But when it comes down to it, whose coin is this? And well, the answer is it's Caesar's coin. It's got his face on it, his name on it. And so Jesus says, well, don't you think if Caesar asks for his coin back, you should give it to him? But Jesus says more, not just give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He says, verse 21, give to God the things that are God's. So, if the thing that has Caesar's image on it belongs to Caesar, then it must mean that the things that have God's image on them, they must belong to God. That logic stands up, I think. What is it that has God's image on it? Is it coins? Does anyone tell me? Under 12s get to qualify here. What is it in this world that has God's image on it? Oh, hello. Us? Yeah. Human beings have God's image on it. When we read about the creation, God says, let us make man in our likeness. And it says, and so God created them, male and female, in his image. 
we're told that there was a distinction between animals and humans. And the distinction was humans are made in God's image. They've been made with certain abilities, certain capacities. They're able to think in a way that animals can't. They're able to make decisions in a way that animals can't. And crucially, they're able to relate to God in a way that animals can't. There's something special about human beings. We are not just animals with clothes on. We've been made in God's image, made to have spiritual life. Now, we often think about what an amazing privilege, what a great dignity that is for human beings, and that's true. But it also means that we've been made for a reason. And Jesus tells us what it is here. He says, give to God the things that have the image of God on them. He's saying you were made to belong to God, to give yourself to Him. You are God's possession, and He wants you. Jesus sees through these men, and He calls them really to give up their wicked schemes, their foolish, fake questions about paying taxes, and instead be fully devoted to God. And there's only one way that they could do that. Though Adam and Eve were made perfect, their sin meant that the image of God was defaced. It's still there, but it's not as clear as it once was. Human beings need to be restored to God, and this is what Jesus has come to do. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and the perfect image of God that we see in Jesus well, he, was, he laid down his life in obedience to God in the place of sinners like you and me. This is how we give ourselves to God. We trust in Jesus Christ. We believe in Him. We turn from selfish living, and we live for Him. Whatever He asks of us, we give it to Him because we understand that we belong to Him. However old or however young we are, we need to hear Jesus' words. You belong to God. Give yourself to God, therefore, through believing in His Son, Jesus. Let's take a break there. We're going to sing, and then I've got some things that I want to say, especially to the over-12s, but if you're under 12, I've got a challenge for you today. Now, usually when I produce something like this in a family service, people say, oh, well, you see what the pastor does when he's not working on a Sunday, but that's not the case this time. This is what the pastor gets his kids to do when he's not working on a Sunday. Here are, for you, blank coins, deliberately made to look um, like they've been sitting in a garage getting damp for weeks on end. And what I want you to do is to put your face on the coin and to write something round about your face. How about putting something like, an image of God, or a child of God, something like that. Anyway, you've got two sides to play with. Why don't you come and help yourself to one of those, to some pens to help you along the way, and that will be your task, and you can show us what they look like. Well, whilst um, our youngsters are working on Scotland's new currency, um, let's think again about Matthew chapter 22, because 
To me, there's so much that is sobering about this encounter that Jesus has. The first thing is this alliance between what the Bible calls the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees, if you've read anything of the Gospels, you'll know the Pharisees were people who were devoted to keeping the law. They were impeccable in their commitment to every nuance of every detail of the rules, including the rules that they had added to make sure they didn't go near breaking the rules that they didn't add. And the, the, the Herodians, the people who were faithful to Herod, well, Herod Every time we read of a King Herod in the Bible, it's always the opposite picture. They were a sensual bunch who, naturally speaking, would be at odds with religious men like the Pharisees. And while we often see that Jesus divides a room, here is an example of Jesus uniting a room, brings together these groups in their shared ambition to see Jesus discredited and ultimately destroyed. And it is a flavor of the sort of opposition to Jesus that exists and still exists, how people can be ideologically very different, yet united on this point, that they reject and even in this case hate Jesus Christ. I'm really struck by the hollowness of their approach to Jesus. Those words in verse 16 actually make you feel a little bit nauseous, don't they? They sent their disciples to Jesus, and what do they say? Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and that you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you're not swayed by appearances. I mean, come on. If they really believed that Jesus was true, that he taught the way of God truthfully, then they would not have come and asked such a pathetic question about the taxation system in Israel at the time, would they? Imagine if you got to meet your hero, whatever world that is in, the person who has achieved everything that you had hoped one day you might achieve, maybe in the world of sport or in the world of music or in the world of business or, heaven forbid, the world of politics and you only had a few moments with them, and you chose that moment to ask them, what's your favorite color? Or even worse, if you chose that moment to try and make yourself look smarter than them. What a waste, what a waste. And how much more this approach to the Son of God, and they speak to him like this, but you see, they only want to discredit Jesus. They are only interested in bringing his reputation down so that theirs might rise higher. But this is what Matthew wants us to see, is that Jesus is fooled by none of this. He sees through all of it, and he still sees through that kind of stuff for what it is. Over the years, I have encountered many people who've had questions to ask when it comes to Jesus. But we need to be aware that it is possible for us to keep on asking question after question after question, not because we want to know the answers, but because we are waiting and waiting and waiting for this whole notion of Jesus to just come tumbling down. That's all we really want. And be aware, our natural tendency will be to settle for nothing less 
than to keep asking questions because we don't want this to be true. And so, when confronted with the demands of Jesus, when we're shown, like we are in this passage, that we're created in God's image, made for God, and that the only way to be restored to God is through faith in Jesus, there are many who might be interested, but they get stuck. And often, it's in asking questions that are equivalent to the tax question in this passage. Let me give you some examples. Yeah, 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 but what does the Bible say about how old the earth is? Well, doesn't it say that actually God has just predetermined anything anyway, so why would it matter what I do? How can a good God allow so much suffering in the world? But weren't the Israelites told to do some horrific things in the Old Testament? Now, all of those questions are worthy of an answer, and they all have an answer. But all of those questions what they tend to do is to move us away from the centerpiece of the Bible's message and to have us marveling at the frame of the picture. It's all about Jesus. Friends, I can save you a whole lot of time and mental energy because maybe those are questions that that bother you. But actually, none of those questions need to be asked or answered if we still have not settled on whether Jesus really is who He says He is and really has done what He has said He's done. Who is Jesus is everything. It is everything. Is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Did Jesus Christ die on the cross in the place of sinners? Did Jesus Christ rise again from the dead? Because I can save you the trouble. If you have come to the conclusion that it's no, 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 then what are you bothered about the other questions for anyway? You don't need to let them bother you anymore. But if you've never bothered to get into these questions, who Jesus is, what He has done, and what it means for you, then if you're fretting about all those other questions, you're asking Him about the tax system when He's got something so much more fundamental that you need to get to grips with. Because let me tell you, if you become convinced that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then all these other questions will fix themselves when you get to them. But this is where you start, with Jesus. And I cannot emphasize this enough. Do come. Come with all of your questions. We love questions here. Bring them to Jesus Christ, but know this. He sees through all of your questions, and He sees your heart, and He knows why you ask every question that you do. And the question is, are you really seeking Him, or are you just looking for loopholes? The prophet Jeremiah had a message to the exiles who were sent off into Babylon, and his message was that there was a future for them, and it was a future that would be bright when they turned back to God. Here's how he described it. He said, then, God says through Jeremiah, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me 
with all your heart. And isn't that another way of saying what Jesus is saying in response to the question he was asked? Give everyone what is rightfully theirs, and in coming to Jesus, do so recognizing you belong to God. His image is stamped upon you, and so you give yourself to Him. Jesus is not fooled by mere words, not fooled by mere interesting questions. And that's wonderful news. Wonderful news for those of us who come to Jesus in simple but genuine trust, because He recognizes what that is. He recognizes that for what it is as well. There's the story of when those around Jesus could only see how irritating it was to have children around. And Jesus took notice, and He said, let the little children come to Me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Similarly, He said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. We come in simple trust to Jesus, confident that He sees through everything, and He sees that. But do not come in simple cynicism to Jesus and try and fool Him with questions. He sees through that to the heart. Come to Him, seeking Him, and He will reveal Himself to you. Right, let me pause there. Can we, are we in a position to see Scotland's newest currency? I'm not trying to be inflammatory saying that, I promise. Um, can we see what coins have we got? All right, we've got a couple there. Nice, nice. Any other coins to show yet? Very nice up the back, very cheerful coins. Maybe that's what we need to boost the economy, coins with happy faces. Very nice. I love the color in this one. Oh, superb. Well, um, um, join with me in applauding our young folks for that. Excellent. Now, I just want to take a couple of minutes to pray, and then we're going to sing one more song, and then our service will be finished. After the service, do stay for tea and coffee. You'd be very welcome. We'd love to get to know you and to share some time uh, over a hot drink there. But let me just pause for now and pray, and just bring some things before God in prayer. Our Father, we thank You that You have made us in Your image, and we do pray for Your help to come, to come genuinely seeking when we come to Jesus. Help us, Lord, to give ourselves fully to You. We do thank You, our Father, for the Lord Jesus, and we pray that we would not allow our questions, even our important questions, to move us away from seeking after Him and knowing Him. We thank You that You see even the smallest faith in the smallest person, and we pray, Father, that You would give us a simple trust in Jesus. We do pray for Your help, Lord. We pray remembering those who are part of our church family here who are in particular need today. We pray that You would be with Margaret as she recovers from her surgery. Also be with Helen, recovering at home. We thank you for progress with Ron and pray for his continued improvement in health. 
And we remember others who need your daily grace and strength. We pray for Liz Brown, and we pray that you would give her and Roger uh, the patience and the peace day by day as they wait. And Lord, you know there are many situations in our church family where people are anxious, concerned, or even feel like they've lost hope. Lord, we pray that you would be very near to them. Lord, that the preciousness of Jesus would grow for each one in the midst of their struggles today. We remember children and young people. We're so glad to have them in this service this morning, and we do pray for them. Lord, as they go into school this week, we pray particularly for those who find it hard to be there. Lord, we pray that you would grant them peace and courage, and Lord, that you would help them this week. And we pray for each one to know that simple trust in Jesus Christ and to grow as they follow him. Thank you again for this time that we've had. Thank you for all you've taught us about Jesus. Help us to, help us to be fixed on him and help us to be sure of who he is and to trust him. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.